Looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dawaskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dawaskin. Oh, Scotty, thank you. You always get me in the mood for the show. Can't thank you enough. Here we are, episode seven. That's right. If this is your first episode, you got six more to catch up on. Because <laughs> we're on episode seven. And as always, this episode is brought to you by our sponsor, this week's sponsor, Normal Size Band-Aids. You love us, but you'll love us even more when only the weird size ones are left. The small one and the really big one. Normal size band-aids. You may want to buy an extra box. All right. As always, support our sponsor. That's what keeps the lights on. Well, what can I say? I was Twittering this past week. New feature on Twitter. You can now add voice to the tweet via the Twitter interface. Now, I don't think this is on every account yet because one of mine has it and the other ones don't. But basically... You type in the text, and you hit a button, and you just add your voice. And they put it over an image of your account picture, and it just plays. I don't love it, to be honest. No editing tools. Didn't seem to have a want to redo this. No way to play it to see how it actually sounds. So give it a, a 2 out of 10. It's a nice effort, but let's see if they take it anywhere. I have a great interview coming up with comedian Ricky Glore. He has a new album out called Spitting Image. I think you're going to really enjoy the interview. It's all about the process it took over a very long time to hone the material and get it to the point where it is now on the album. And I think it's relevant and a really great case study for anyone trying to build towards anything. I think the story can be extrapolated and the points and the bullets to how to get there, how to follow your dream, how to reach your end goal. It's all here. It's all in this interview. That's a huge lead up. And here we go. Hey, everybody. We're here with Ricky Glore, famous comedian. <laughs> famous. <laughs> like Lee's famous chicken famous. Lee's famous. <laughs> it's just as famous as one of those chicken places you pass by. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. If you put famous in the title, it's got to be true, right? Yeah, of course. This morning, I had the world's greatest cup of coffee. <laughs> How did it match up against all the others that came before it that didn't have that moniker? Not as good. Not as good. I think it was definitely... <laughs> Definitely something about it. Of course, so high. When you're braggadocio like that, like you judge it from the moment it just like caresses the tip of your tongue. And you're just like, nope, not the greatest, not this one. No, this one, it spoke to me. It was there. It was 100% there. doesn't happen often, but when it hits, it hits, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you got a new album out. So that's exciting. This is your first album? This is my first album. And it couldn't have dropped at more of a perfect time when all of my live shows have been canceled. So I have zero opportunity to move the CDs and albums at shows. Ricky has an entire room full of CDs that are just waiting <laughs> for you once, once the governor has opened up all the states. So 
Uh, you have that to look forward to, audience. Look forward to that. How long is the set? It's a, it's a headliner set. It was done in Pittsburgh at Burning Bridges Comedy Club, which I would say max holds about 80 people. It's a little bit of a smaller room. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. There's a bar right next to it called Hambones, which is kind of a fun, jazzy dive bar. And then there's a room in a kitchen. Then the comedy club is right next to it. So a lot of people go for drinks beforehand, then they get some dinner at the comedy club and they watch the show. It's kind of intimate, like set a jazz kind of feel. We did the show there. We did, I did two shows. The first show was sold out. It was great. That's what the album is because the second show, maybe like 50 people and they were awful. And I have no qualms <laughs> saying sometimes an audience can be bad. The years that I did stand up, I would only purposely bring my wife to certain gigs because there's only certain gigs that you do that are like the gold shows, you know, where it's a real club. It's not the back of the alley. (laughs) You know, you're doing it. Nobody even knows there's a comedy show going on. (laughs) Oh, those are great when you're hijacking a bar. Luckily now with the advent of, well, I say now, I mean, for the pandemic with breweries and wineries, they've kind of become the new modern day coffee house. And I learned about two years ago that they are hungry for live entertainment. And what's cool is the people who come there, unlike a bar, they come there for a night out, kind of like a date night, just not a stop through. Like sometimes bars are where there'll be a revolving door of people. So yeah, the breweries and wineries have actually been really cool when it's, um, they've been really good audiences. Now to your point, a lot of them aren't set up for stand-up, but luckily, even under the worst conditions, all you need is a microphone. You can do stand-up anywhere. That's the beauty of it. So um, all right, so you had two great sets of the same thing, huge audience and a smaller audience. That's what <laughs> not, I like. Two great sets. One good oh, set. Oh, right, great, right? That one great set. Well, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> well, but sometimes, it's, sometimes, right, don't you think, like, when you do one and it's just so perfect, and then you do another show right after. It's hard because the other show is still in your head, and it never, sure. never yeah. really matches up to the expectations because you've yeah. got this invisible bar in your head that you've set. And there should have been a, a sense of relief, which I think there was, of like, oh, I think that first show was good enough. Granted, I'm always like, oh, but well, maybe the next one will be even better, and then it'll unlock doors of these huge laughs and maybe some impromptu things that'll happen that'll be amazing that will capture you know, the magic of capturing a live show. And that didn't happen. (laughs) I accept at the end of the night was like, I hope we got that first. I hope everything we needed was on that first show. I said one weird, uh, one thing wrong in my set where I'm supposed to say emaciated. The first show I said emancipated. And I asked the producer, I was like, is there any way you can have the editor just swap out the words? Cause I know I said it right. The second show. <laughs> and I was like, I don't need the whole bit. Just the one word. And he's like, we'll see. I was like, please. Otherwise I sound like an idiot. He was, he was able to do it. It's the worst when you just, you, you are there and you mess up a joke and you know, you did, well, you did, even if you didn't know it, but like with the times that you do and yeah, then you have yeah. to, on the fly, just kind of do it again or reconstruct the joke just to try and get through it to save face. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, you don't want to go, sorry, I messed that one up. Like if you say the wrong, wrong word, then that might connect to whatever your, your punchline is at the end. And then it's like, if you still have more of a bit like, well, I know I didn't say that correctly. So they're, 
there's no way they're going to laugh at the end of this. And I still have a minute and a half of this bit to get through. <laughs> the mental anguish of being on stage. The album is called Spitting Image. It just recently was released. So anyone who's listening, you can pick up Ricky's album now. Talk, talk about like the process of building this headliner set that is now on, on the album. Yeah, for, for two years, I have been doing clubs, uh, bars, like we said before, pretty much anywhere where they'll let you put up a microphone stand. I recommend this to any comedian, even if you're an open micer. If you're an open micer that doesn't have any more than 10 minutes, find two other comedians that you think are maybe better than you or better than you and have more time. And you do the grunt work to book out of state or out of city shows somewhere like promote that you're going to give them a good show and that it's going to be a certain amount of time. It's going to be like an hour show. And even if they're not going to pay a ton, at least get gas fare or a little bit of scratch to throw the other comedians and start pushing yourself to do out of state shows. That's what I did. Two years ago, I started a thing called the brew crew comedy tour where we did a lot of breweries and wineries and it was always myself and two other comedians. And every weekend when we had shows, or even during the week, we would rotate who was in the MC, who was in the feature spot, and who was in the headliner. So that forced us to have to really work and hone in doing each one of those positions really well. Because I think you can get complacent if you're just a feature, being like, oh, well, at least I don't have to deal with the worries that, a, that an MC has to deal with. Or if you're always headlining, you're like, well, I don't have to do the grunt work of, a, of an MC. A lot of people say that feature is the, the sweetest spot. But I did that for about a year. And then when I knew that my 45 minutes, my headliner set was shaping more into what I wanted it to be, I got a little selfish, which I thought was fine because I knew the goal I had in mind. And I said to the, the comics that I had been taking with me on the road, for this next year, I'm going to headline every show. Like unless it's a place that I've already done and they, I'm going to headline every time. And so I'm going to bring along a feature and MC, which I'll rotate. But so then for a year, I, I did that. Every show we did, and like, like I said, unless I had already headlined there, I just worked on that 45-minute set, putting in new stuff, taking out stuff, rearranging it. Then within that year, I also recorded my Dry Bar Comedy Special, which was great because I knew they were only going to do 25 minutes. But they let you record two shows, and they let you change up your stuff each show to give them a nice array of things to choose from. But because I knew I was going to do that, I was like, ooh, this is great. I can really focus on my first 10, 15, and then I can really focus on my last 10, 15 and put those together to make it that dry bar set. They're pretty stringent on what you can do, even though they don't give you guidelines. You know, they want clean comics. When I was first uh, booked to do it in September... I was like, oh, do you want me to write down my set or send you a video of what I plan on doing so you can tell me what, what you want and what you don't want? And they're like, no, 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 we trust you. So I was like, cool. I talked to Jeff Jenna, who's another comedian who's on Dry Bar, and Erica Rhodes, who's a friend of mine who did a great Dry Bar as well and was on Bring the Funny on NBC. She's an awesome comic, as well as Jeff, who taught me in my first stand-up class in 2005 and has been kind of my mentor throughout my whole career. I said, can I send you my set that I plan on doing for Dry Bar and mark anything you think is questionable? Because I heard horror stories about comics doing jokes 
that were their closers and they were like a sexual innuendo and it nicks their whole special from ever coming out. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that to happen. So they went through it and like one piece of my Kentucky material that's on the album that I didn't do because I knew they wouldn't be cool with was talking about the Creationist Museum in Kentucky. Even though it doesn't really like persecute or hold creationists to a fire or really like go after them, I was like, hmm. It happens early on in my set. I just worry of even saying anything about it, that that's just going to clinch buttholes and just like ruin it all. So I was like, there's no reason to talk about it. I got enough other Kentucky stuff. And one bit that I didn't think of, though, was my Burt Reynolds bit, the story about my dad stealing Burt Reynolds' face from his museum. I did the bit both shows, and none of the producers said anything. When I got the first edit of the special, Dad Bod, it was gone. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, it's such a unique story. It's not like there's a bevy of other comedians telling their how their dad stole Burt Reynolds' face joke or story. I was like, huh, I wonder why they took it out. And my brother, who was with me when my dad stole Burt Reynolds' face, people listening are like, stole Burt Reynolds' face? Now you got to buy the album. You got to find out what I'm talking about. He was with me when my dad did it in Florida. He's like, I bet you Drybar cut it out because it's about stealing. And I was like, oh my, like, you're probably right. It's about stealing. I would have never thought of that. But so yeah, that was the, that was a long way to answer that for two years, I just shaped this show. And one tool that I used was I had a pocket in the middle of my show called Napkin Thoughts, which I, I actually put together a little coffee table book. In Napkin Thoughts, that bit allowed me to, uh, the setup was, or the setup is, if I do it again, a lot of people have tiny computers that they carry around with them daily. Napkin Thoughts were, I carry around a tiny computer, but I still like to write my thoughts down on napkins. Here are some of my napkin thoughts. And a lot of them were non sequiturs that I had or one-liners that really didn't fit anywhere in a narrative of kind of the, the set I was building but I would try them out and if they worked or if more jokes formed around them or came up that all kind of fit a similar narrative, then I would make them a bit and I would take them out of the napkin thoughts and put them somewhere else in my act. So like that is something that I had throughout the two years, which was great is I could always go to napkin thoughts. And then as the two years went on in the set in the headliner set evolved, I could make bigger bits out of these smaller jokes, which the first year doing MC and feature were great because those two slots, you don't have a lot of time to tell long stories. So telling kind of like one-liner jokes were great to work that muscle. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It, I, that's what I think people don't understand, which I think you clearly articulated is what's such a process to get to 45 minutes, so much time and editing and retooling goes into it to get that perfect thing that when they finally hear an album. So when I was first emceeing in the mid two in like 2005, 2006, I was a house MC at the new funny bone in Kentucky at like shopping mall, you know, where like a lot of comedy clubs are. And I was definitely, I was a much different comic than I am now. But the one thing that like I learned was, Watching other headliners perform, and I was really fortunate. I'm a huge SNL fan. So anytime anyone remotely that touched SNL, 
I would call dibs and try to work with them. And watching the stamina that it took to do multiple performances in one night of a headliner set and knowing where those jokes and the energy need to be to also to be able to hold the audience. I did impressions back then and I used to do them at the beginning of my show because for some reason I hated being known when people left the show as being the guy who could look or sound like Chris Farley, which is one I used to do and I would always get. So I'm like, I'm not going to do impressions at the end of my show anymore. That's all people remember. That's not a stand-up. That's a hack thing, which I don't know why I grew out of that because now my stand-up is I do songs. I do impressions. I do long stories. Like I like vaudeville performers. I like giving a performance. I think stand-up has a many a different definition. All valid. Anybody who sits on a high horse is like, oh, well, stand-up is just up there, leaning up against a microphone stand, pontificating like you're thinking of it on the spot. I'm like, mm, that sounds like rehearsal. I think you should work on your set a little bit more. You're there for an audience. An audience gives you more than you give them by just being there. So I think every stand-up's intent should be to perform and entertain. I'm not saying to pander. Do what makes you laugh and what you think is funny and expresses your artistic creativity but know that you're there to provide a service which is to entertain and be prepared as much as you can so then when I got older and was doing stand-up I'm like no people love impressions doesn't matter when I do them in my show that's the thing they remember so I'm gonna finish with them and I'm going to like doing them. So I'm going to do the impressions that I like. I'm not going to do just, I'm not going to do Christopher Walken, even though I do Sean Connery and everyone does Sean Connery. It's that Sean Connery makes me laugh. I thought your impressions were really great, actually. Yeah, and fun. The way you did them, it was, I, really, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Well, it's been great talking to you. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun. It was great to get to know you. I do want to encourage everyone to check out Ricky's album called Spitting Image. You can find out the whole story behind Burt Reynolds' face. Uh, <laughs> see if you would have uh, deleted that bit from the Dry Bar special had you been in charge of Dry Bar. Yeah. And uh, it's available on Circus Trapeze Records. It's available now. You can go right now. Stop, hit pause, just go get the album. <laughs> Ricky, tell people how they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Glore. That's R-I-C-K-Y-G-L-O-R-E. I'm on Instagram at Glore Ricky. Or you can follow me on Facebook at Ricky Glore Comedy. You can go to circustrapeze.com slash Ricky Glore for the album. Or you can go to iTunes, buy it, and leave a review. And take a picture of you holding like your phone with my album and tweet me. Let me know that you got it or what you think. All right. Well, thank you, Ricky. It's been a pleasure. Everyone check out his album. We'll see you again. All right. That was my interview with Ricky Glore. Check out his album now. Great, great story on how that came to be. Put the time in. Be true to yourself and never give up. All right. I know we're all stuck at home. Hashtag Roundup. Check that out. Download the app. Lots of fun hashtags you can play throughout the day. Read a lot of them on the show here. Here's one uh, recently uh, Young at Heart Tags did on Hashtag Roundup. Hashtag homeschool bumper stickers. All the parents 
working it out with their kids at home with no school to send them to. Here's some homeschool bumper stickers. Siddick Blonde, homeschool dropout on board. <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing to explain to the neighbors, right? My kid got an A-plus in video games. All right, Jilly Bean, good for your kid. Somebody's uh, got to be setting the curve in video games. Here's a good one from Sherry B., homeschool bumper sticker. Just Google it. <laughs> Who's not doing that? Yeah, that'd be a great bumper sticker. Uh, here's a good one uh, from Fletchy. He was a teacher. <laughs> Honk if you understand Common Core. Oh, I bet those are quiet streets, huh? <laughs> Lots of fun stuff going on. All right. Well, check that out. Check out Ricky Glora's album. Check out all the other episodes of the Jeff Tawaskin Show if you haven't yet. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.